My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Uh, Many years ago, I remember uh, attending a conference at a very large church. And the focus of this conference was on leaving a legacy, right? Leaving a legacy. And there are a lot of words spoken about the importance of bringing up younger leaders to help the older leaders not just run with, you know, the, the vision that that church had, but to take it up themselves and lead into a new era. And there was talk about the importance of succession, right? And ensuring God's work continuing in the future through the next generation. The problem was this church did not have any plans in place at all. They, they, they talked a lot about succession and the legacy in the future. But the power there was centralized in basically one or two primary individuals. So when the, the, the leader of the church, when that pastor died, the whole organization was thrown into turmoil. Because there was a lot of talk about multi-generational focus. But there was a lot of confusion because they actually never set out a way to accomplish this. And I bring this up not to trash them because I was thinking about our bell tower. And I posted a picture on Facebook um, the other day on my own page and on the church's page, the picture of the almost completed uh, bell tower. And I thought of this church in particular. And I thought of when you go into our lobby There's a big carpet uh, in front of the door. If you were to roll up that carpet, you would see a few dates. You would see, was it 1771, right? The founding of our church. And then when this building was initially built, I think 1814. And then I think the third date is uh, 1917. I didn't pick it up because it's kind of heavy and you have to move stuff. But I'm pretty sure it's those three dates, right? I should know this. Three dates that are important in the history of our church. The founding of our church on the Driesbach farm all those years ago, and then the building of this building, and then the renovation of this building with the addition, I think, of the bell tower. And it made me think about how this church in particular, the multi-generational focus that this church had, that this church had roots in this area, that there, when there was someone to succeed, uh, and there may have been gaps, right, in coverage over the years, right? Because, you know, this was, you know, we're in the middle of Pennsylvania, and in the 1700s, it's kind of hard to get, you know, pastors when nobody lives here, right? But generally speaking, this church continues to endure because they were able to maintain what they had and to pass that on, not just to the next generation, but to other people, to other people as well. And I think the bell tower kind of symbolized this for me, right? The multi-generational aspect of, uh, of life in the church. And then when I, I read this selection from 2 Timothy, those two stories that I just told you seem to fit pretty well with what Paul says to St. Timothy here in this book. So Paul begins this letter by telling Timothy, I... 
I remember you in my prayers both day and night. So right off the bat, we see this is a special kind of letter. This is written specifically to Timothy himself. And so the tone of it is going to be a little bit different than some of St. Paul's other letters because it's to a particular individual. And Timothy uh, was a close associate of St. Paul and knew him well and was um, a leader in the church because of him. He notes that Timothy's faith was, was something that was handed down to him. Right? It was something that was handed down to him. And then he notes two important individuals. The first individual he notes that handed the faith over to Timothy was Timothy's grandmother. Her name was Lois. And then he mentions Timothy's mother, Eunice. Right? So at some point in their lives, right, Lois, his, his grandmother, heard the faith and received the faith. And then what happened was she then passed on that faith to Eunice. And then Eunice not only heard the faith but internalized the faith and then passed that same faith on to Timothy. God bless you. And so we see this multi-generational handing down of what is of prime importance. The same faith, St. Paul says, that was in both of them lives in you. There's been a lot of articles written, a lot of podcasts recorded, lots of vlogs filmed about why young people don't come to church anymore. Some say, well, it's because our services are old and stodgy. Others say, we need to make church more contemporary. And others say, we need to focus less on dogma. We need to focus less on doctrine because who needs any of that anyway? That's just something holding us back. Maybe we should be activists instead of Christians. Maybe we should focus on other things instead of repentance and conversion and life in Christ. Different attitudes towards what the church is. There's a coffee shop in Northampton I like to go to. And um, there's a guy there that I talk to sometimes when, whenever he's there. And we're just chit-chatting. And uh, he goes, you know, I was telling him about the bell tower and what we were doing. And he says, you know, Mike. He goes, well, the church is a business after all. Like, you do need to make money. And so the church is a business. And I said, no. <laughs> no. The church is not a business. And he said, well, you do need money. And I said, well, yeah, of course. I'm like, any organization does need the finances for it to continue to function and to even exist. So I said, I get what you're saying, that, you know, money is involved and material goods are needed. I said, but the church is not a business. The church is not a business. We're not, the church, we're not providing goods and services, Right? When you come in the door, you don't sign up for a monthly fee to be here. You don't sign up a monthly, maybe we should do this, I don't know, right? You don't have a monthly fee to be a member, right? Where they just auto-debit some money out of your account and says, okay, because we've debited this money out of your account, you can come work out here. Well, not work out, but like work out your soul here, right? So, you know, you can sit in this chair at this time all the time and no one else will ever sit there because you've paid your membership dues, Church isn't a business, though. 
me being here and doing this and what I'm doing and preaching to you every week and reading and studying and visiting you when you're sick and burying you when you die, confirming your children. This is not a business. This isn't a good or a service that I'm offering to you, right? The church exists because we have Christ. That's the whole reason we exist. We exist as a church because we have that which no other organization has, right? We offer eternal life, <laughs> right? This is where we come to know God. This isn't a place where we, we could just come to be f like for friendship, which we can and we should, right? And I've preached on this before, so I won't, I won't focus too much on this, but the church is not a social institution. It can fill that function, right? We can come here as friends. We can gather together as friends. All that kind of stuff. But we don't exist primarily for that reason. We exist to facilitate encounters with God. We're not a business. We do need money to operate. Yes, that's true. But we're not a business. And if the church gets started, if the church gets run like a business then it's no surprise when the worst aspects of business behavior get imported into the church. The first thing, well, an interesting thing, and this made me think then of a conversation I had. I have a friend named, named Steve, and uh, Steve uh, was head of a, a national youth organization for a major Christian church. And we, I've spent time with him. We've hung out. He's a friend. I've had him on the podcast that I'm a part of. And I actually had to text him before this. And I'm like, hey, remember this conversation we have? Where did we have this again? And he's like, I think it was over here. I'm like, that's right. But I, Steve said some things that we, we've talked over the years. And one of his main areas of focus for his church was always, look, we're always asking the question, how can we get new members to come in? Or, or especially, how can we make sure our kids stay in church? And he says, that's the wrong approach to take. So if I'm here and I'm saying, what can I do to make sure that Lana and Sophia and Amara and Riley and Reagan and Matthew can stay in church and Casey, what can I do to make sure that they'll never leave well, I mean, that might mean even they go to school, right? So, or something like that. What can we do to make sure that they'll never go away? And what can we do to make sure that more kids come, more adults come? If that's the focus then, what can I do to make sure that Reagan never leaves? Then we've sort of missed the point. We've taken a business model or business mindset and tried to apply it to the church. And then Steve said something. He's like, maybe instead of trying to figure out how to get kids to stay in the church and instead of trying to like tailor programs to try to get them and then I would say by extension grown-ups to stay inside the church, maybe what we should do is be converting them to Christ first. Introducing them to life in Christ first. And then when we introduce them to life in Christ and life in Christian community, then we can focus on or look at how to best serve them. 
And that stuck out from, in my mind for me over the years. And what's wonderful about doing things like confirmation is seeing parents bringing their children to church for formation. Right, because that's important. Like we see here with Timothy, right, and his, his, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, we see how they've handed on the faith to him and we see how the parents of our children bring them to church to be formed here in the church. Our work of formation, that doesn't end, though, because then it gets modeled not just here, but then also in the home. But some of us don't have kids. Some of us... Our kids have moved away, right? Here's what, I've, what I think about all of this. If our faith is multi-generational, and maybe we don't have kids and our kids are growing up, that doesn't, that doesn't negate the, the responsibility that we have to still pass on our faith. Does that make sense? Just because our kids are gone doesn't mean that our... Our Christian, Christian charity, Christian love means that we, we that's it. We've done, our, we've done our thing. A multi-generational faith isn't just limited to us passing on our faith to our kids. A multi-generational faith is also passing on our faith to others. And that can be really difficult sometimes. That can be really hard. Passing that faith on to our friends and family. By drawing them into life in Christ. And that's what the church here is meant to do. That's why we have services. That's why we do all of this. It's because life in Christ is paramount. And we are drawing others in to experience the transformation that we've experienced. So, he says, St. Paul to Timothy, that that faith was handed over to him through his family. And then he says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. That's, that's ordination. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control or sound mind. Then he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So I think the way that we, we hand on our multi-generational faith, right, is to, to stir up what God has given us. To stir that up. To remember what we have been given. Right, when, when, when we are baptized, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, like God is giving us his grace. He's not moving us from one category to another. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? Who then gives us love, a power, sound mind or, or self-control. God has given these things to us. And that's what we use in service of others. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. In other words, 
Be open with what God has done for you. What God has given you. When challenged, you don't have to shrink away. Listen, you may not be... Do you all know, you know what an apologist is? If you don't, an apologist is someone who gives a defense for something. Okay? So that's what the word apologia, apology means. It, doesn't nece- it doesn't, didn't mean originally to say, oh, I'm sorry. It meant to give a defense of. So there are people who are very highly trained in giving a defense for the faith. And sometimes what we do is we say, well, it's William Lane Craig's job to give a defense of the faith. Or um, uh, who's another one that some people like? Uh, McDowell, it's his job to give a defense of the faith. Or uh, this one on YouTube, Cameron Bertuzzi, it's his job to, to, to give a defense of the faith, right? They're apologists. It's their job. So I don't have to do any of that sort of thing. Listen. We might not be as clever as William Lane Craig or somebody like that, okay? But what we have is the story of what God has done for us. We may not be able to talk to somebody and say, the reason that we know God exists, we'll do, uh, we'll make this argument from the argument of desire. We don't need to know the argument from desire to prove the existence of God. What we have is what God has given us and the story that we have. We could say, well, okay, Once I was lost, and now I was found. And honestly, sometimes the story of how we were lost, and how God found us, and how Christ saved us, that could be more powerful than arguing for God's existence based on the argument from desire. Are you with me? The power of what God has done for us can be a more powerful testimony than, I don't know, being able to to sum up St. Thomas Aquinas' reasons for the existence of God. That has its use and it has its place. But don't be ashamed in our testimony of what God has done for you. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think, well, I mean, maybe you don't, but I've heard people, some people struggle with this. Some people say, well, I've lived like a pretty good life. Like I didn't get into anything weird I didn't go into like a super, super dark, sinful place. I've just faithfully served God my whole life. That's a powerful testimony. And we shouldn't like mitigate that or negate that. But there are other people who will say, I descended to the lowest, darkest, most sinful place. And then we might think if we didn't go to those places, well, that person has a powerful testimony. I'm going to let them talk about what God has done for them. Because nobody wants to hear about what happened with me, my life of ongoing faithfulness. No, both are needed and both are powerful, right? We need to hear from both groups of people. We need to hear from the people who've gone to the depths and how God has saved them. And we also need to hear from the people who've walked in faith their entire life, dealing with the issues of life, but following Christ faithfully. We need both. Both of those stories are powerful and they're both transformative and they both have a place. So don't be ashamed of your testimony about our Lord. Then he says, share in suffering for the gospel. Share in suffering for the gospel. Sometimes the Christian life will call us or lead us to suffering. Jesus told us so. And this generally can take the form of persecution. But when suffering comes, we can use that as a tool of testimony. And then he says, follow the pattern. He says, follow the pattern. He's laid all of this out for us. He's given us grace and purpose in Jesus Christ before the ages even began. 
follow the pattern as set forth by Jesus. He says this in verse 13. The pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he's saying everything that I've taught you, everything that I've handed on to you, I want you to follow this. And if he can follow this, then he can emulate that to his own community. He can live that out in his own community. And then he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good entrusted to you. That means for Timothy, I think specifically St. Paul is telling him about the church that Timothy has become the bishop of. Guard this church. Keep this church. Right? But I think it's also referencing not just the church that he's overseeing, but it's also referencing the good that God has done for him through the testimony of his grandmother and his mother and his following the pattern as laid out by Christ and through St. Paul. The spiritual good that God has given him to guard that. To guard that. If he has to guard it, then that means there will be things and people and circumstances that will try to, to attack that, that might try to steal that. So that needs to be guarded. That core of what Christ has done for us needs to be guarded. Even if things are going wrong for us, even when our life takes a turn we don't expect, when sickness hits, when somebody dies, when a hurricane happens, whatever. The good deposit entrusted to us. New life in Christ. Guard that. Don't give that up. But most importantly, don't hide it under a bushel. Share it. Give it away. Communicate it with your deeds and with your words. You don't have to stand up on a platform and be an evangelist. You don't have to get a, a, a you don't have to go buy a, the four spiritual lost tract. But what we can do is say, once I was lost, now I'm found. Join me. Join me. And so, brothers and sisters, let us not be ashamed. Let us remember what we've been given. Let us share in our suffering and let us follow the pattern as laid out by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom is due all honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.